Amen. You can be seated here today. Well, thank you for gathering. My name is Eric Baker, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Mission Church. We want to thank you all for joining with us and for uh, this opportunity to sing praises to Jesus, to fellowship as the people of God, to celebrate our King. Uh, today we have ca- gathered to lift high the person and work of Jesus above all other things. Not ourselves, uh, not even the name of Mission Church, not you, not me, but Jesus. And it's important for us as we are listening today, as we're actively engaging with these words today, that, that we learn what it means to truly see Jesus in, in all of Scripture and for us to rightly hear the gospel in this place. As we began last week, we started working through our summer series called Summer in the Psalms as we're picking up each week from following along and consecutively in the book of Psalms. And we're going to start doing this every summer. We'll pick up next summer in 2023, wherever we leave off this summer. But it gives us an opportunity to take a break from our our typical sermon series or through 1 Corinthians for us this year. And we'll pick that back up in the fall as we dive into that. But we want to take a pause just to focus on what it means to sing praises to God, to to pray, and to acknowledge God um, through our very life circumstances. As I mentioned last week, the book of Psalms was uh, written, it has over 150 different chapters within its library. Um, It has several different authors, uh, 73 plus of these psalms that were written are are attributed to King David. He's the guy that fought the giant, if you're new to the Bible. He fought this guy named Goliath, and a lot of people know that story, even if you're new to to Jesus or the Bible or uh, not a Christian. And so we see that in this library of songs and prayers, that if you were to take a Baptist hymnal or a hymn book, and the book of uh, common prayer and you were to slam them together into one volume that you would get this sort of a book within the passages of scripture that God has gifted to his people now it took a thousand years to write all of these psalms and after that thousand years they compiled them and put them together by the time that Jesus would have been uh, born and living, these, this book of Psalms would have already been compiled by its authors. But as I mentioned last week, it is important for us to really understand that there is a flow to the story that is even found in the Psalms. And with that is an introduction. And that introduction is Psalm chapter 1, as we covered last week in Psalm chapter 2. So I would encourage you, if you're not very familiar with the scripture, if you're ever even flipping through the Psalms, because we should probably read you know, one Psalm a day to keep the devil away, is that in reading of the Psalms, a good thing to do is that no matter which one you're reading, would be to always read Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 before reading that. Because it sets the context for the rest of this story that is being told through this library of books these songs, these hymns, and these prayers. Now, in our original context of the psalm that I've just read to you, is that as we read last week, is that we see in chapter 1 that blessed is this man who 
follows after God, who loves and meditates on God's word. And as Psalm 1 began with this blessed man, Psalm 2 is going to end with this blessing. We see that, that Psalm 1 is going to end with this description of, of wrath and, and this kind of uh, on, on the wicked. And Psalm 2 is going to pick up with the beginning of that and continuing that idea. Now, it's important to understand that this context of Psalm chapter 2 has two uh, understandings. Is that first and foremost, uh, that it was often used as a coronation reading at the coming of a new king to this nation called Israel, specifically that of David. It has inclinations and feelings of the reading of a book called 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God promises to King David that he is going to leave this dynasty, this legacy that through his lineage that, that his sons would be king but that eventually there would be the king that would come from the seed of David and that's what Christmas is all about. That's why we had the genealogies in the, the Gospel of Matthew is to, to tell its readers that this is the promised Messiah. This is the King of Kings and the Lord is Lord of Lords and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the Son of God. And so while, yes, it has de depictions of an earthly king, um, it has believed since its writing and, and since that, that it is speaking to something well beyond just an earthly political figure that God has put into place. But that it is speaking to uh, a royal priesthood of Jesus himself, that he is this ultimate king, the fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2 and of Psalm 1 and Psalm 3, Psalm 4, all of the chapters that we see in scripture is the person and work of Jesus. So let's see Jesus in this text here this morning. In Psalm chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, you'll notice that this psalm and song is, is got kind of four stanzas. And so this morning we're going to work through those four stanzas. The first stanza is looking at verses uh, 1 through 3, and so if you're taking notes this morning, maybe you want to write this as the heading for that, the world against the king. The world against the king. As we see here in the scripture, it says the author of this, which we learn in the New Testament, was actually David did write this psalm, but he asked this question, he poses this question before people, why do the nations reign rage, excuse me, and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So in this, we're seeing that the world, that the nations are coming against God, that they are coming against God's appointed king. This is a worldwide rebellion against God. As I mentioned last week, the first two chapters of the book of Psalm are very reflective of the first chapters of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. This is picked up again in John, the gospel of John, as we see these images of both creator God and yet man's active rebellion against him and his appointed king. Here's the thing is whether you believe this about yourself or not, if you're outside of Jesus, 
If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, though you would probably very you probably would not voice this. If you are not in Christ this morning, is that the the reality is that you hate God. That you hate God's kingdom. That you hate God's word. Now, as Americans, we just celebrated uh, July 4th, which many celebrate as the day of freedom. You know, Americans are all about freedom. I mean, that's why we get, you know, tattoos of bald eagles on your chest covered in draped in a, an American flag. That's, we, we love the idea of freedom. We are obsessed with freedom. And so the idea of a king, a ruler ruling over us is something of great opposition that has come in our educational system and in our experience since the Enlightenment as we have uh, placed the idea and the concept of freedom as God. It is above God. And you and I have been battling that as the history of humans, though, ever since Genesis chapter 3 when our first parents broke the law of God. We've not been free. We've been bound. And what have we been bound to? We've been bound to sin. Since that time, it has left us, left us wanting to be in control. We want God's power. And your hate of God, and my former hate of God, we want his throne. We want his kingdom. Now, the Bible tells us, why do the nations rage? It's important for us to understand that this is not some singled out, but this is a global pandemic that is taking place in the history and the hearts of man and woman. As the Bible says that they rage against this God. It's interesting that in the Hebrew language there, that, that word rage paints a picture of like the uproaring of the ocean. Or, or even you get this picture of maybe some of the images that we've seen in movies. I was thinking this week about in the Lord of the Rings, you've got the, the, the orgs and they're just waiting to be released. And they're snorting. You've got these, these horses. It's actually the picture of a, a horse that's maybe covered in, in, in armor and, you know, that that. that that, that mist is coming out of, of their nostrils as they're, they're gnarling and they're just waiting to be let loose by the riders to go off into battle. And that's the picture that we see here in the original language of how you and I, apart from Jesus, are acting toward God. Is that in some way, the wicked believe that they can declare war against an almighty, holy God. As an American, we hate the idea of treason, right? Anytime that you've watched the news and you've seen another American citizen has um, denied its, you know, American citizenship and has joined up with the Taliban. Don't you just feel yourself like, how's that possible? That's just so wrong, that treason. We hate the idea of mutiny, and yet the Bible is very descriptive that if you are apart from Jesus, if you are not a Christian today, whether you would verbally say it or not, by your affections, your actions, your attitudes, is that you are declaring uh, a mutiny against an almighty, holy creator, God. That you want his throne. That you want his power. That, as Seinfeld would say, is that you want to be the master of your own domain. Sorry if you're not from the 90s. And that's how we all are, apart from Christ. 
We do not want to be bound to God's word or his law. We want complete autonomy from our creator. We're, we're so deceived that you and I and people that are apart from God have created our own gods. We attribute the name of the Christian God. I believe in God. Celebrities, stand up. Man, I want to thank God for allowing me to beat up this other man in the ring tonight, which is so weird to say. I want to thank God for giving me the opportunity to play this game of basketball that I love so much. I want to thank God for this Oscar. Because God allowed me to be half-naked through most of this movie using language that I should not use in an AR-15 to blow up a bunch of people. I want to thank God for allowing me and giving me that opportunity to be in that movie and to stand before you today as the best this year in movies. We attribute the name of the Christian God to this God, and yet it is a God of our own imagination. See, my fear is that even amongst us, and you are all beautiful people whom I love dearly, is that even amongst the people who gather as Mission Church or a part of Mission Church is that, that you and I would say that we love God, and yet we don't love what God loves, and we don't hate what God hates, and, and, and we don't practice what God has called us to practice. You know what you call that? Wicked. And yet somehow in our modern day and age, we have twisted Christianity to become something that it rather, it does not mean. We've created gods of our own imagination. If I can't have his throne, then I will create one and place him or her upon the throne of which only God can be. Now notice Bible readers, look, don't put up your Bibles, look at the Bible. And the people's plot in vain. What's interesting about that is circle that word plot. Now, if you circle that word plot and go back to chapter 1, is that actually in the original language, in the Hebrew language that this passage was originally written in, where it says that the, but it's talking about the blessed man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is verse 2. But that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's what the Christian does. That's what the, the, the Lord does. That's what followers of Jesus, they meditate. They love the word of God. Now, what's interesting is, is if you draw a circle around that word meditates and, and you have a circle around that word plot, is that in the original language, they're the same word. As the follower of Jesus meditates on the word of God, the wicked and its rulers, all those opposed to God, all the wicked, all those who are not Christians, they meditate on how to overthrow God. They think this through. We individually and corporately in our war rooms try to discern a plan of action against the God of the Bible. We carefully, meticulously, to use a former president's word, we use strategy in order to figure out what is the best plan of action in order to overthrow the God of the Bible. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you see the rule and reign of God as oppressive. 
You see his word where he says, you know, uh, this is what a man is, and this is what a woman is, and this are what healthy relationships are, and this is how we're supposed to live, and we're supposed to give generously of our time, talent, and treasure, that we're supposed to be members of a church, all of these sorts of things that you see that as oppressive. But I want you to know something. Those of us who are true followers of Jesus do not see it as oppressive, but we see it as the life-giving elixir from God Almighty, from his throne to his people. Wicked people see it not as life-giving, but they see it as bondage. This image that we see inside of Psalm chapter 2 of the nations coming against God and his appointed king is is something that we're going to see throughout the rest of the Bible. Psalm 2 is the most quoted and alluded to psalm in all of the New Testament. This is why, if you were to If we had time, we're going to look at a a portion of this. But when you get to Acts chapter 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the disciples of Jesus, specifically Peter and John, have been preaching. And through the gospel presentation, Jesus has been saving people. Along with that, to, to show that their message was true, the Lord is also choosing to heal people. And those who claim to love God... To know the God of the Bible, imprison Peter and John. They put them into jail. And they come to them and they tell them, okay, here's the deal. We don't really know what to do with you guys. We had to imprison you because you're annoying. But we won't do anything beyond this as long as you promise to stop preaching about this Jesus. And Peter and John, they refuse to do it. And yet the Bible says that they're, they're, they're let go, they're let out of jail with the understanding from the rulers, uh, uh, the, these people who claim to know the God of the Bible, who obviously did not, that they could not preach this, and yet they're, they're released. And what do Peter and John, excuse me, Peter and John, what do they do as soon as they leave prison? Well, the Bible tells us. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, notice what they're quoting, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Next one. For the truly, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to speak to the word of God with boldness. And so what do we see, even from Psalm chapter 2, through all of those years, by the time, about a thousand years between when Psalms was completed and, and what happens in Acts, 
Acts chapter 4 is that we see that these men who've been proclaiming Jesus are experiencing the exact same problem that we see the followers of God experiencing in Psalm chapter 2. And what is it? That the wicked and the nations and its rulers and, and, and those reigning over evil people are coming against God Almighty. We see here in Acts chapter 4 an expression that even teaches us that they're praying what? The book of Psalms. That this war that was taking place thousands of years earlier is still a war that is taking place among the early followers of Jesus. And friends, may I lay before you that it is still an issue that you and I are experiencing. If you haven't noticed, governments cannot agree pretty much on anything. Even when Jesus was crucified, who is the earthly chess pieces put together in order to make that happen? You have Pilate, who's a pagan Roman, and Herod, who's a, um, a fake, pre, uh, fake king of the Jews. These are complete opposites, complete enemies of each other, and yet what do they do? They conspire together in their war rooms in order to see Jesus, what? Crucified. Likewise, we're experiencing those things in this day and age. That's why I grieve every time I see overtly worship from people who claim to follow Jesus toward any nation. That's why we rightly oppose something called Christian nationalism. Because, friends, this is not a Christian nation. There's no such thing. There's the kingdom of God. And it is made up of many nationalities. It's important for us to understand that this is something innate within you and I. Again, that if we can't have the throne, at least we want to place someone or something in the seat of where only God can be. Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, child, money, country, power, job, whatever it is. We want to put that and make that and worship God whatever we place upon that throne. If we can't sit on it, let's at least uh, be the God behind the scenes that is placing that God or goddess upon the throne of which only God can be. Uh, recently, I was watching one of the bazillion superhero movies that we have, right? Because that's all that we can create anymore. And recently, I was watching one of those movies and the whole plot, spoiler alert, I won't tell you which one, and it doesn't ruin the movie. But there's a man, and he worships this pagan god. And he is nothing but a man, but he has given his entire life to the worship of this god that is in the Marvel Universe. And this god does not do what this man thinks he should do. He takes something great away from him. 
This God that he's dedicated his entire life. I will serve you. I will follow you. I mean, this man is a depleted mess when you see him in the movie. As he's worshiping this God that he has given all of his life to. And yet that God does not do what he expects that God to do. And because of it, this man then decrees that he will no longer worship that God. And that he would give the rest of his life to the killing of all gods. See, our, our movies and the shows that we watch and the books that we read are all trying their very best to give us glimpses of the great meta-narrative that we see in Scripture. Because men, brothers, friends, sisters, so many of us have been like that man toward the God of the Bible. You did not give me what I wanted. So I will not worship you. This did not turn out as I expected. So I will not bow before you. I will not submit to you. My non-Christian friends, Eric, if, if God is so good, the God of the Bible is so good, then why are all these bad things happening, right? I would never worship a God that would do this, or I would never worship a God that would do that. And we declare whether or not we shake our fist or, or draw a sword against uh, the God of the Bible, but in our, again, actions, attitudes, in our, in our very ways of living our lives, we are declaring, I hate you, God, and I want your throne. If you will not give me what I want. This was happening in the Old Testament. It was happening in the New Testament. And it's happening all around of us. And even in this room, if you're not a follower of Jesus. Now, our rebellion against God maybe is way less dramatic than a guy in a movie. Or a declaration of philosophers that God is dead. Or what Stephen Hawkins writes in his books, or comedians post, or any of these things. What's interesting, even in the last few weeks, what we've seen uh, is many of our even politicians here in America who claim to be followers of Jesus and yet are outright trying to legislate things that oppose the very will and purposes of Jesus. As one commentator wrote, usually our rebellion is less dramatic than an all-out declaration. said, many people simply ignore God and do life their own way. They go to school, they raise their kids, they pay their taxes without the slightest thought of following Jesus. This is what is known as suburban rebellion. I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world. I've been in places like Minsk, Belarus. I've been to Russia. And what was interesting as we were sharing the gospel in these places was that they've been told for years and years and years and years that God doesn't exist. They are a nation and the nations against 
God. They rage against him. They rebel against him. They plot. How do we erase him off the planet? Diocletian, if you know much about your history, was a uh, a, a man who ended up putting these pillars up in, and I believe it's in Spain, and, and it's commemorated by saying um, on this date that we erased Christianity. And yet he is long gone, and we are here. In these countries, they're trying to make sure that people understand they're being indoctrinated. God does not exist. God does not exist. God does not exist. And that is one of the ploys of sin, Satan, and death is to convince people that God of the Bible does not exist. But, but friends, let us be very careful because we simultaneously live in a place in a nation that is in complete opposition against God. And it's not that we preach that God does not exist, but but, but rather is we're being convinced that the God that we worship exists. And yet, when it's truly studied and understood, the, the God that many people worship is not the God of the Bible in the United States. It's the God of their own imagination. It is not the God. Some of you are following a Jesus that is not the Jesus in the Bible. There are many counterfeit versions of him. I know this to be true because as I'm evangelizing, I'm, as I'm having conversations with people, is that I'm often told, my God would never do that. My God would never do that. Here's the chapter and verse where he does that. Well, I, 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 you're just mis misreading that. I, how? You read it to me then. Well, I hear this all, all the time. My, my God is a God of love. Man, thank you for being honest. Because you've made love into a God. And you're worshiping it and you're attributing it in one aspect of the God of the Bible, but it's not the only aspect of the God of the Bible. The Bible tells us here in this passage, verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What, what is this declaration that we see in Psalms? What do we see this declaration from us if we're using the fight the drift illustration is that if you and I are on this lifeboat and we are tethered to and connected to the law of God, the person and work of Jesus is that, that there's someone in the boat and it's probably me and I've got a small like butter knife and when you're not looking, I'm trying to saw off that rope, right? Why? It's because just like these people and just like we see throughout history is that, man, we, we don't want to be bound to the Word of God. We don't want to worship Him the way that He decrees to be worshipped. We don't want to serve Him and obey Him in the way that He wants us to obey and serve Him. It's like, man, we just we need to ignore this. That's why I think a lot of us don't read the Bible. It's like, man, I'm held, if I'm held responsible for what I know, then I just want to plead ignorance. And yet the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that you can't plead ignorance. God has been revealing himself through all of creation. 
since it began. And this is the declaration. We do not want to obey God. We do not want him to be our king. We hate the word submission as Americans. Again, sinners see God's word as shackles of slavery rather than loving boundaries. And yet, when we see the whole counsel of Scripture is that we see that Jesus ultimately came to set us free. Free from the bondage of sin and Satan and death. We see here in this passage, look with me in verse 2, it says, against the Lord, Yahweh would be the original way that that is put there. I am that I am. I am God against his anointed. Notice that the translators have put here for us, it is the capital A. That term of anointing is the idea is that when people would be set forth as king of a kingdom, is that they would often be anointed with oil as a symbol of the, the covering, that this is God's man for this chosen time and accomplishment. We see here that in the original language, it's actually the word that we get Messiah in the, the original. And then if you translate that into the Greek New Testament, or into the Greek that we see inside the New Testament, it is the word Christ. So it is not just pointing to David as this king, but it is pointing to a future king as well. And that the nations are going to come against that king. That they're going to come against Jesus as they have been doing and will continue to do. And yet... This, if you are against God, you are also against his anointed one, meaning that you are against Jesus. This is a serious passage of scripture here as it's addressing these issues at the heart of man. Please understand this. The Republican Party is broken. The Democratic Party is broken. Bowling Green's local government is broken. Our state government is broken. Now, can they still do some good? Absolutely. Did you know that Caesar, who totally oppressed his people, was known for giving bread and circus? People hate you? Give them some bread to starving people. What do they start doing? Oh, man, Caesar gave us bread. You're an oppressed people, and you got a full belly? Caesar would offer, often offer entertainment in the form of circus or gladiators or throwing Christians into the pits to allow them to be burned alive or eaten by lions. God has given us government as a gift. It's at its best when it's protecting people. But government makes a terrible God. And we must understand that all of it is fighting for and bidding for the throne room of God. So we pray for the king as the Bible tells us to. We honor them as the Bible tells us to. But we do not worship them. Only Jesus can set us free. We see here, and this is going to move very quickly through these last three stanzas here, is we see God's response. Notice there in verse 4. How does God respond to all of the nations warring against him? This is, this is funny. 
but not. Verse 4 tells us, he who sits in the heavens laughs. That, that God sees what's taking place. And the nations, and we are a part of those nations that are warring against this holy, glorious God. And what is his response? Then he jumps up out of the throne room chair. He sees that these things are happening. He sees the, the, the wars against him. He sees the verbal attacks on Twitter or Facebook or columns or comedians or, or actors and actresses and, and people, just common people living in this neighborhood. And, and he hears their wickedness. He hears them decrying uh, this idea that they want the throne of God. And, and so what does the Bible tell us? It tells us, man, that God gets up from the throne and he's, he's pacing back and forth. He's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? The price of gas is high. The house is marking is crazy crazy i mean they're they're killing babies we don't know what a woman is anymore all this stuff and the bible just over and over again just tells us that god is just pacing the floor not knowing what to do no that is not what the bible says is that he sees all that foolishness and his only proper response is to go <laughs> and if you're a parent in here you've all done that Let me know how that works out for you. Because it's foolishness. It's foolishness. It's like that old adage of going to a gunfight with a pocket knife. It's foolishness. Brothers and sisters, our world is chaos. Can I get at least one amen in here? Our world has lost its ever-loving mind. All right? You can be anything you want to be. You can say anything that you want to say, unless you're a Christian. Our world has lost its ever-loving mind. And yet our God has never twitched. In response to it nothing can thwart the will the plan and the purposes of God he is king all right I know eggs a few months ago were like a dollar two dollar per dozen now they're like ten bucks I know because I eat like ten of them a day you don't grow this without doing that I know a gallon of milk, which for some of y'all, y'all don't drink milk. Y'all drink white water. I know it's insane. People who drive down Scottsville Road are never going to learn how to drive. <laughs> Chill out. They're never going to learn how to do that. Our government is messed up. All these things. And yet God has never, he's never flinched. He is still king. He is still Lord. He, like a parent, smirks at this immature child running around thinking he knows better than an almighty creator God. He remains seated. He does not wring his hands. He, he does not 
as, 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 he does not cower down. Oh, oh, oh no, like the, the, the wizard in the Wizard of Oz. I better, I better come up with this. I better hide be, behind the green curtain, right? I can't, I, I, I better just go into seclusion. I, be, I better run. No, no, no. God has never backed down from his throne. He has never sweated one drop from the throne room of God. He does not back down. He has orchestrated. He has planned. He has placed into position every politician, whether you voted for him or not, God ultimately voted for him and put him in that spot. And as they rage and war against him, God is pleased in his person and work of Jesus as he experiences and does not need anything from us. He has all of that within himself. All the glory, all the worship, God already has. And yet he invites. He is patient. But eventually, as we see here, the, the, his righteous wrath will come. The speech in this passage changes, right? God moves from the laugh, the smirk, the mock. That I'm going to send my anointed one. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is meant to instill fear in the wicked and yet hope in the followers of Jesus. The, nation, the nations rage, but I know, as we sing in Psalm chapter 46 here at the church, the nations rage, but I know my God is in control. We see this Psalm chapter 2 picked up in the book of Revelation. It, it mimics in, in, in Revelation like 11 and Revelation chapter 19 alludes to this passage in the, revel, in the return of Jesus. Let us understand is that, that Jesus no longer the Bobby, Ricky Bobby version of little baby Jesus. The king is coming back. He is coming back to his people. He's coming back for and to establish his kingdom. And the book of Revelation reflects this anointed one that as he comes back, as baby Jesus came in the first in the in the in the incarnation to win back the nations. In the book of Revelation, we see that the nations are bowing before the Lord as the king comes back riding a white horse with a sword in his hand and there's a tattoo on his leg for all my tattoo friends that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The king is coming back and the Bible tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the reality is that in here today, you are either going to bow before him in that moment as his sons and daughters of God, or you are going to bow before the almighty King of Kings and Lord of Lords as a defeated foe. But don't, don't lose this. You will bow. I will bow. In Psalm 2, 7 through 8, the king's decree, uh, the son, is Jesus is speaking here, I'm the son, remembers the promises that God has given him the inheritance of the nations. There will be every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be represented in heaven as Jesus will save people from all of those throughout history. The, the son is saying and declaring that he is the king, but he will eventually crush his enemies. To close out here this morning, read with me again the 10th through the 12th verses. Now, therefore, this is the narrator picking back up uh, what's taking place. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, which is a sign of submission. 
right? You've seen in movies like they'll, the king will often have a, a ring and, and they'll come up and they'll bow and they'll kiss the ring. It's, that's what we kind of get this image of kiss the sun. It's a picture of submission. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So notice what's happening. The, the, psalm, or the, the writer of the psalm tells us the nations, people, war against an almighty, holy, glorious king. And he laughs in response to that. He tells them, I'm, I've appointed this one, King Jesus, to be the ruler and reigner over these people. Jesus says, I am that king. The world and all creation is my inheritance as the prince of peace, as the son of almighty God. And yet we would expect, as God describes all of this, that the next verse would be, and Jesus and the king came back and he killed them all. Is that what we see here? God calls out the wicked. And in these last few verses, we see the graciousness of the king as he says to his enemies, it doesn't have to be said of you. You don't have to be like the, when I come, my wrath is coming and it will be like a piece of pottery smashed upon the ground. You're my enemies. You are wicked. And yet we see the gospel in this passage as wide are open the doors to evil and wicked sinners who currently hate God. And yet the Lord, as Peter would tell us, is slow to return. Why? so that people would come to him. You will either refuse and revolt against Jesus as your king today, or you will take refuge in him today. You understand that? You're not, you're, you're not going to be passive in your response here today. You're going to walk out of this place either still declaring war against the God of the Bible, or it will be like a warm blanket to your weary soul in this place as you find sanctuary and rest in the arms of Jesus, your King. Because what does he end with? Blessed. What does that mean? Fulfilled. Confirmed. Uh, set apart that this decree from God says of, of his people who surrender to Christ Jesus that they are blessed. Why? Because they have found refuge in this Jesus, my anointed one, my son, my king. I love this passage of scripture as it, as it paints a picture of my heart apart from Jesus. And yet, like me and like for you here, who are here, who are apart from Jesus, uh, uh, maybe right now, uh, is that uh, for me at 19 is that Jesus opened wide the gates as he looked upon me as a wicked person and said, hey, this is coming, but, but this does not have to be the way. Come to me, Eric. Submit to me as your king and find eternal rest. Find sanctuary. 
Find refuge. Find food for your your eternal life. Find everlasting water in, 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 in me, Jesus, your king. I am not like the kings and the presidents and the queens and the dictators of this earthly realm. I am a benevolent king who loves you and loves you so much that he was willing to lay down his life for his enemies so that they may come and be reconciled to an almighty, holy God. See, when you come to Jesus, you will put down that sword. Because you see the beauty of all that he is. You see mercy. You see the grace. You see the long-suffering and the patience and his compassion for you. In the midst of your hate, he loved. And in his kindness has drawn you to himself. So that as the Bible tells us that those of us who were once children of wrath, the very enemies of God, become the children of God. Are you revolting against Jesus this morning? Does your life reflect one of treason against the God of the Bible? Do you even know the God of the Bible. Or do you find refuge in Him and find yourself blessed beyond your current circumstance? Let's pray. Lord Jesus.